It is indeed. It is uh, six minutes after seven o'clock. Stan Feinselberg is here representing you, handsome devil. You're going to be taking the show tonight, and he is uh, already cracked his knuckles. He's greased up. He's got the gloves on. He's ready for your phone calls and your questions about uh, your employment, workplace harassment. Maybe you got a severance offer. Maybe just thinking what happens if it came down the pike tomorrow and you were called into the room with a cardboard box and the pink slip. Well, you'd want to get some more information for sure before that happens. If it ever happens, either for you, could be a family member, could be a colleague. Or just a, a close pal, feel free to uh, to call in, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Lines open, we are ready for you. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca, help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll get to a bunch of your emails here in just a, a couple minutes. And now, Stan, I know you wanted to get to uh, the week that was when it comes to a topic of workplace harassment and that, which we will return to later on in the show. we got a bunch of talking points in that regard. And some emails to get through right off the top. I wanted to plug this, and it just uh, it, it's newly minted. It's brand new. It's called Pocket Employment Lawyer. If you've never been there so far, go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Hot off the heels of the severance pay calculator, which has been around for several years. And uh, the last time we took a, took a number, it was somewhere between 750,000 and a million people used the severance pay calculator to find out what they are rightfully owed by uh, what would be a past employer at that point. Well, that uh, particular uh, device has been rolled into the pocket employment lawyer. But not only that, uh, severance pay calculator, it can tell you if you've been terminated for cause, if you're an independent contractor or an employee, uh, constructive dismissal, do you have significant changes made to your job? You might fall under that banner. There's also... Uh, stuff on human rights. There's also stuff on workplace harassment. This is all under one website, under one app, uh, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, as well as we flip over to the long-term disability side of the firm. There's also a section where you can use that tool as well. This is absolutely free. You can't pay for it if you want to. You simply go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And uh, it's anonymous, too. Don't have to tell us who you are to use it. Just use it, walk away, and if you choose to, you can contact uh, Stan or, or Leo or a member of the team after you've done it because there's a contact button at the top right of it again so uh, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca that's my spiel for the beginning of the show Stan now what do you got for the uh, week that was brother yeah well as you mentioned uh, today our topic is workplace investigations and harassment so I wanted to start off by talking a case about a case that I have uh, dealing with those two exact things so I'm actually currently representing a, a client of mine who has been let go from his job based on findings of workplace harassment and the reason I'm finding this case to be so interesting and I wanted to discuss it here is I really, you know, as I delve into the details of it, mm-hmm. it, it seems pretty clear to me that the investigation that this company conducted was seriously shoddy. Uh, and that significantly and basically, I would say fatally, undermines the company's entire position. So in, in this particular case, John, what happened was uh, there were two colleagues who had worked together for quite a while. And as many people who work together for a long time do, they developed a strong friendship. Yep. And, you know, the way that you speak to friends is different than the way you speak to colleagues or strangers. And they had certain conversations that for many years, you know, while using inappropriate, foul language, nobody, neither of them seemed to mind. Uh, eventually, they have some sort of disagreement, and the complainant decides that the language is no longer acceptable. And she goes to the company and says, I, I want to file a harassment complaint for inappropriate uh, conduct and language, and including language that was even of a sexual nature. So very serious allegations, John, no question. And, and what does the company do? They give, they bring the accused in, and the first thing they tell them is, you know, we're not too worried about this allegation. So they give them the impression that this is not a big deal. 
Then two days later, they bring him back again and all of a sudden say, you know what, you're being suspended based on harassment and we're not going to give you the details right now. Okay. Not the best way to handle things from the get-go. Uh, so they, can, uh, they then bring him in and actually give him a few details, very vague, nothing in writing. Uh, and as these inv- interviews continue, basically during the course of this in- in these interviews, my client denies a lot of what was said, or, but also agrees that he did use inappropriate language in certain instances. In, in one particular uh, instance, he says, I've got two years worth of WhatsApp messages. And I would like to give this to you, company, so you can review the WhatsApp messages to get a flavor for the conversations that I've had with my colleague. And so you can understand that, you know, we spoke a certain way to each other. And yes, maybe at the end she didn't agree with that, and I can accept that. But I certainly don't think I should lose my job over what was said for so many years to be what I thought was appropriate. And the company inexplicably says, you know what, we don't need those messages. We're not going to review that. Several days wow. later, they bring him back and they fire him for cause. Again, failing in writing to give him the the allegations, failing in to give him the opportunity to respond in writing. All of which, kind of, as I delve into this, you know, from my perspective, makes their position really difficult to try to prove at this point. So, the things that I'm sort of taking away from this case is number one, you got to give both both parties the opportunity to give their side of the story. And you have to review all of the documentation, not just the ones that you think are relevant. If someone's pointing you, if the accused is pointing in a direction saying, I think this is relevant, even if you disagree, you have to review that because that's what their defense is. They're relying upon that. Uh, And secondly, what what the company had here, they had a policy dealing with investigations, which is great. You should, every company should have an investigation policy. Mm-hmm. Every company should have a policy dealing with harassment. But they didn't follow their own policy, John. All the po- it was all laid out in the policy. Give, give, them, uh, give both parties an opportunity to speak. Give both parties an opportunity to present evidence. Give both parties the opportunity to dis- discuss what was discussed with the other party, the, the allegations. And so all of these things, as this investigation is unfolding and as we're delving into litigation at this point, it's coming out, and I think it's becoming clear when reviewing these WhatsApp messages that no question there were inappropriate conduct, I think, on both sides. Right. But nevertheless, you know, is that enough after nine years? I don't think so. I think there could have been better ways to handle it, and that's what we're essentially fighting over at this point. It's an interesting, uh, interesting case, and it's 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 it really speaks to the uh, well. I guess as we always say in the show, if it isn't written down somewhere, it didn't exist. Well, he had all those WhatsApp messages just to back him up, just in case, and he was smart not to delete the whole file, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and it just boggles my mind that the company did not even take a look at them. It's yeah. yeah. The uh, email address, by the way, for the remainder of this show, any other show or any other time for that matter, is simply help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll get to some of those emails. Uh, by the way, phone lines are wide open, ready for you for your calls about uh, anything you want to ask or been wondering about your job or your employment. Possibly you're an employer and there's something you want to know about uh, continuing on with an employer. You look at hiring people, that's fine. Feel free to uh, for, bring on the phone calls. For the remainder of this show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell and one triple eight two two five talk that is toll free i want to bounce down to some uh, some emails here pal before we uh, go on any further and we will jump back to harassment and workplace investigations here in just a bit but the uh, first one today just got it through from ben says um stan my company put me on a performance improvement plan i don't agree with it in fact i disagree with it what can i do about it 
Well, that's a, it's a bit of a difficult question to answer, John, because at the end of the day, with performance improvement plans, so much of it is subjective. You know, I think that I'm doing a great job, you disagree, but you're the employer. You're the one whose opinion kind of matters more than mine. So, Ben, I understand you disagree with the company. You don't think that you should be on this performance improvement plan. Really, all you can do is put your head down and tell the company, okay, fine, I disagree with it. And if you have specific examples of things you disagree with, you should tell them, preferably in writing for sure, that these are the reasons I disagree with it and this is what I disagree with specifically. But after you've done that, and as you, and you can continue to do that throughout the performance improvement plan process, you just got to put your head down and you got to work to the best of your ability. And at the end of the day, whatever decision the company makes, whether they decide that they're going to let you go, they're going to keep you on, they're going to terminate you for cause, without cause, whatever the answer is, you know that you've done everything you can. And generally speaking, it's very difficult to prove that somebody can be terminated for cause based on performance alone. So just keep that in mind. And if that does come down, you know, feel free to call us and we'll be able to help you out. That number, by the way, one 821 5900 anytime. If if you are put in that performance improvement plan, you go through it, and maybe it's uh, maybe it's set out some unrealistic goals for you. Maybe it's uh, in a in a sales position. If you go through it one time and you're not successful, maybe you've made uh, you've made not so much a stand, but you've told the employer, "Look, this this performance improvement plan. I'm trying my best. I just can't achieve the goals you've set out here for me." Is that enough to to fire you for cause? Because I know a lot of companies will go ahead and do that, but that's not enough, is it? Does that rise to cause just having one shot at a performance improvement plan? I mean, you certainly want to have some, you know, some warnings before you get to that point, or at right. least some sessions of coaching, some notations in the employment file that speak to performance to at least show that you're building up to the PIP. You don't want to put somebody right on a PIP, give them 90 days to improve, and then fire for cause. Uh, but And the as you mentioned, the goals, if you're not meeting the goals, well, that's not the end of the analysis at the end of the day. Maybe those goals are completely unrealistic. Maybe 95% of salespeople don't meet those goals. If, you, if you're in that 95%, how come you're being picked out and not the rest of them? And usually speaking, if you don't have, if a company doesn't have realistic, objective performance goals, they're probably not going to be able to establish cause. 416 870 star 640 on cell. I want to slide over to a phone call before our break. Uh, Mike, thanks for hanging on, fella. Good, uh, good evening. How are you? I'm good, you? Good, brother. What's uh, what's on your mind? I've been working for a company about like eight years, nine years, but about three years ago I signed something that I was going to get paid certain, like about $45, uh, $45 an hour for 40 hours a week. And But I've been working eight or nine hours a week longer, and so they were going to they promised to pay me out or whatever, but it's gone on for three years now. And then they laid me off, and they're saying I'm not entitled to those anymore. But I've got it all journaled and signed by my supervisor. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just wondering, do I have to go to court for that? or? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, there are other avenues. The Ministry of Labor is certainly equipped, although it's not my favorite avenue, to deal with something like this. Uh, but generally speaking... I mean, everybody's entitled to be paid for the time that they work, Mike. So if you put in time, if your agreement says I get $45 an hour for 40 hours a week and you're working 45 hours a week, you should be getting an extra $45 for those five hours per week, per hour. You know, the company, and companies oftentimes take this, it's a little unusual in your sense because you're an hourly employee. Usually it's done in the context of salary. Well, you know, you, companies say you get a salary so we can work you as many hours as we want. I mean, that's certainly not true. There are limitations. Uh, in Ontario, nobody can be forced to work more than 44 hours without overtime pay, and nobody can be forced to work more than 48 hours without explicit written agreement. 
about they owe me about eight hundred and fifty hours. I like wow. that I known so. Well, he can go back two. He can go back two years if uh, if possible, right? To that e- even potentially more. It just depends wow. on when you discover the action. Because generally speaking, you're right, John. There is a two year statute of limitations. But if you're relying on the good faith of the company and they're saying we're going to pay you, we're going to pay you, and then a year and a half later, after they've been saying it for a year and a half, you decide you realize, hey, I'm not getting paid. Well, that would be when the the clock actually starts ticking because that's right. when you discovered your cause of action. Mike, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to put you, uh, let you go there, but I will give you this number and please make the phone call, talk to Stan afterwards and, uh, and get on it, help you further. 1-855-821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900. That will put you in touch with Stan or Lior, member of the team at the firm, and also help at employmentlawyer.ca. Back to your phone calls and lots more of the show. Just getting warmed up here, the Monday night edition of the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. You bet we are. It is uh, 721 here till around 10 to 8, so plenty of time for you to call in, ask your questions, 416-870-6400-STAR-640 on cell email address, which we will get back to here in between the calls, help at employmentlawyer.ca. In that regard, going to move over to uh, to Tom. Tom, thanks for hanging on through the break, fella. How are you tonight? Great. Thanks for taking my call. I'm actually no worries. calling on behalf of uh, my wife. She's not going to, uh, to make these type of calls, so uh, thank you for that. Good man. Go ahead. Uh, so my wife's a social coordinator for uh, for condominium, one of the few in Canada, and uh, she, she went uh, overnight from being the life of the building, literally, to uh, once the board changed with one or two people not liking her personally to basically making her life hell and trying to make her quit. Uh, even if they can't quite fire her because the building loves her, it might be too late. Uh, and they can actually absolutely manage to, to ruin everything she's done. I'm wondering if there's any recourse or anything she could do before it's too late. Well, absolutely. I mean, if she's being harassed by the board, and she, there's usually with condo boards, it's not like a real corporation. There's no HR to go speak to, a complaint to, to kind of intervene here. You know, if she's talked to the board and they're speaking to her in, in, inappropriately, creating a toxic work environment, she absolutely has the right to leave that environment and claim constructive dismissal and fight for her rights and her entitlements at that point. If, how, if her goal, however, is to stay on and try to save her legacy from what you're kind of uh, conferring to me, that's a bit of a more difficult thing for her to do. At the end of the day, she's not the board. The corporate, you know, the board was usually nominated, elected by the condo residents, and the board has absolute discretion with how they want to uh, manage the condo's affairs. She's an employee of the board, and if there are legal directions they're giving her, she kind of has to follow those, but certainly does not have to follow directions that include any sort of harassment or bullying or creating a toxic work environment, as you say, trying to force her way out. Very good. Thank you. Absolutely, Tom. Yeah, Tom, you want to reach out further, that is uh, that is no problem. I, I imagine you will. It's one 855 821 1-855-821-5900 to get a hold of Stan. Remember, the team help at employmentlawyer.ca is the way to go. Your calls as well. Plenty of them. Lots of room here. Come on in. Water's warm. 416-870-6400-640 on your cell. Moving on to, uh, to Peter. Peter, thanks for hanging on. How are you? Good. Good night. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, question is following. Uh, it's not for me, it's for my buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been working for a company over 14 years. Uh, lately, there's been a problem at work. It's basically a harassment. And uh, he's just, I told him, to, you know, basically put everything in writing, give it to him. Yep. He wants to know if the outcome, 
says that he's just fed up and if he decides how much severance should he collect or and would he be fired for this cause or no? Well, I mean, when you're talking about harassment, as I kind of mentioned in the last call, that really the way to deal with it is to first try to deal with it internally. If you can't deal with it internally, you're usually going to have to leave your employment to be able to claim constructive dismissal. Uh, it's hard to, you know, stay in your job while saying that I'm being harassed to such a degree that I can't take it anymore. It's kind of one or the other in most situations. And so if your friend is being harassed at work and he really feels like he's done everything he can and he simply cannot be there anymore, I mean, he has every right to leave that position and claim constructive dismissal. But generally speaking, he should usually contact a lawyer before doing so because with these things, you want to make sure you try to kind of set it up a little bit, get things in writing, get things papered over, make sure, you know, get the evidence that you will need to prove the case you have because so much harassment in the workplace happens word, uh, word of mouth. And at the end of the day, it's very hard to prove who said what. Get things in writing is the best advice you can give anyone in this situation. But if they're going to have a meeting between him and the boss, it's basically it has to be, can he use their form that he can have this in written or keep so, a copy so number one, he can always say, I would A, like to take notes of this meeting, and I will be taking notes of this meeting. Number two, he can actually tell them that he would like to record the meeting, take out his phone, put it on the table, make it clear to everyone that this conversation is being recorded. Lastly, he can go back after the meeting and type up exactly what was said and send that in an email to the HR or the manager or whoever is involved and say, you know, this is what I understand was said. This is what I disagree with. If I've misunderstood anything, please tell me. And I, I particularly like to include that last section because that's putting the onus back on the company. Oh. It, if an in court, a judge is going to, if they're going to come back and say, no, no, that's all wrong. That email makes no sense. That's not what we said. Well, the first thing a judge is going to say, well, he told you right there. Why didn't you respond to him? Why didn't you tell him that he was wrong? Why are you telling us now, three years after the fact? Okay. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Peter. You want to uh, you want to reach out? Same goes for you as well. The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to get a hold of Stan and the team. Help at employmentlawyer.ca for the remainder of this show, of course, and every Monday, Wednesday, and weekend shows. It is four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on your cell. Trevor, thanks for uh, for hanging on. How are you? Hi, I'm doing good. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, go ahead. I'm a paramedic, 32 years service. I've been off the last two years with PTSD, and I've just got a letter of frustration of contract. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, Peter, uh, frustration, or sorry, Trevor, Peter, uh, frustration of contract is this concept of law where basically the employer is taking the position that because you've been away for so long in your medical evidence would it have to indicate that you're not capable of coming back in the reasonably foreseeable future. They can actually take the position that the employment relationship through no party's fault has become frustrated. And in that instance, all they would technically owe you are your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. But all of that being said, the all the entire point of frustration of contract is entirely based on what your doctors are saying. The company cannot simply say frustration of contract after two years or any. There's there's no given period of time after which a contract becomes frustrated. It's based purely on what your doctors are saying and your in terms of your ability to recover and come back to work. So if my doctors say that I'm still working towards going back to work, they can't just get rid of me after two years. 
No, that's not, again, there's no defined period of time. It's very contextual. Every employee is different in this circumstance, and everybody's medical uh, diagnosis is different and prognosis is different. So in reality, you know, you have to look at what the doctor is saying. And if he's saying you can't come back right now or working towards coming back, that's certainly different than saying there's no reasonably foreseeable future in which you will come back. So it sounds like the company, frankly, may have jumped the gun here, Trevor, and I strongly encourage you to call us so we can help you out with this. Are you unionized, Trevor? I am, but my union's the same way. Mm. They so, well, you've been uh, off two years, so uh, why would they keep your job for you? Okay, that's why asset stands to make a difference as far as what you're concerned? What you're I mean, it does unfortunately make a difference yeah. because as most people, I think, who listen to the show by know by now, we are unable to help unionize people. Only your union can help you because unfortunately, you've get, by joining a union, you give up your right to go to court. That being said, Trevor, you do have, if your union is unwilling to help you, you do still have an option, and that option is the Human Rights Tribunal. Because ultimately, this could potentially be discriminatory based on your medical disability, and that your, your access to the tribunal is never um, given away. You can't give that authority purely to the union. You can still hire a lawyer, you could do it yourself, whatever you want, but look into that. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Thanks Trevor. Trevor. Appreciate it. I just I wasn't sure. As soon as he said he was a paramedic, I thought this guy's got to be union. Sure enough, he is too. So that makes a uh, makes a difference. Uh, still Absolutely. time for more of your yeah right. So more uh, more of your phone calls lines are open four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on your cell. Bring them on. We'd love to talk to you. Stand here to answer your questions. Uh, we'll bounce over an email from Lisa. That address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And Lisa says, I was let go after 30 years in my position. My employer has basically told me that I could stay on for the next six months while I look for something else, but has not otherwise mentioned any severance. Is this all I am entitled to? Honestly, absolutely not. Uh, what, what your employer is doing here is they're giving you what's called working notice, which you know most employees hate but is perfectly legitimate. It is giving you notice of your job ending and giving you the opportunity to start looking for something new. But that being said, unless you have a contract which limits you, then you're certainly, based on your 30 years alone, entitled to significantly more than the six months. So I would strongly suggest that you go online, try our calculator, and then give us a call and we can discuss things with you further. And doesn't Lisa's working notice have to be written? I don't, I, I, it might be written, but it sounded from that email like it was a verbal. That's not good enough, is it? Uh, sometimes. It depends. I mean, really, the purpose of the working notice is to give you a definitive date. So if they right. only tell you verbally, but you know explicitly, okay, my last day is December 31st, 2019, mm-hmm. the, the component is being fulfilled, essentially. You, right. They've told you, and the clock begins ticking. Gotcha. But if, but you know, to your point, if they give you some vague outline of like, okay, maybe sometime in December, maybe sometime in January, that is by no definition working notice. It's just too vague to give you the appropriate indicator of your job ending to actually constitute working notice in that situation. That's certainly something that we see all the time. Cool. I want to get to uh, to Mikey. Mikey, thanks for uh, for hanging on. Good evening. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Good. Uh... I have a quick question. Um, I heard earlier on the show mention of a 44-hour week after which it uh, counts as overtime. Uh, my company pays overtime after 50 hours a week. Are you a truck driver? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so truck drivers, there are exceptions for a truck driver. You're, you're a city driver, I'm guessing, Mike? 
Yes. Yeah. So City Driving, the, the company is meeting its obligations. There are, again, as I mentioned, an exception to the overtime rules when it comes to truck drivers. And unfortunately, you fall within that exception. All right. So it's legal what they do because I always knew it's 44 hours, not 50, but right. I guess they're right. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for taking my call. Thank you for cleaning this up. Appreciate it. Anytime. Uh, thanks, you. Mike. Yep, thanks. Sorry, pal. I just cut him off, but thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. I've heard up to sixty hours for some truck drivers too. I don't know if that's uh, you know a so, federal thing, but man, oh man, that's usually actually for uh, what we call long haul drivers or you right. know, people who aren't classified as city drivers. So anyone really driving on highways outside the city, but that is mm-hmm. true that anyone doing the long haul uh, haulage. It's usually around the 60 hours mark, but as you also pointed out, depends on whether you're federally or provincially regulated, and the regulations yeah. change. Right. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell is the number to call in. you still got some time. Andrew, good evening. Hi, good evening. How are you doing? Good, brother. What's uh, what's on your mind? <laughs> Not bad at all. I'm starting a small company, uh, probably yeah. about eight employees. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in the process of trying to make a generic employment agreement for myself because uh, little things like uh, three months probation, I thought it was it, it was it was basically assumed and it was nope. part of the the legislative yeah. act. And I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting to realize that something as simple as that is not. So I was wondering if um, I'm not quite sure what and what you can't. So I, w- I wanted to ask you a few questions. After talking to the screen, I think I may need to talk to you off here because I wanted to mm-hmm. see if you guys mm-hmm. have employment agreements for employers. Yeah, we absolutely do. And employment agreements really can include a whole host of provisions. I mean, conflict of interest, IP, if that's at issue. The the most important one, Andrew, for your perspective as an employer, is you want to have a termination clause in there. Uh, you, you mentioned the probationary clause. That's a very good clause. And you're partially right to say that it is part of the statute. The statute does, in an indirect way, say that the first three months you can let somebody go and not owe them anything. But unless you incorporate that statute and that provision into your explicit contract with your employees, it doesn't apply. The You, yeah. you actually have to explicitly put that in there to remove their common law entitlements. Without that, just having it in a statute is not enough. Okay. And I, I started finding this out as soon as I started doing a little bit of research, and I realized a little bit above my head, as, sim- as, as simple as mundane as it may seem, yeah, um, I, it's over my head. <laughs> you bet. Absolutely. And I mean, I see so many employment contracts that people try to draft themselves, and I've seen some good ones. I, I can't lie about that. But certainly so much, it's such a technical uh, art, really, that you have to have yeah. the language perfectly in line with the statute. You have to know all the provisions and the way that it interacts in the law. So it's very hard for a person without that legal expertise to really draft a properly worded contract. Exactly. And I, I strongly recommend you talk to us off uh, off that line, and we can so certainly help you with that. The thing I found out, too, is that it has to be revisited every so often because the case law could basically completely throw off what you had before. You don't even know it, like just from me looking into it. Well, it's possible. I mean, that's, you know, a lot of that, usually you're probably talking about termination clauses because the, termina- the termination. case law around termination clauses case has changed so, so so differently, yeah. dramatically. But exactly. that being said, you know, there is a way to draft these things that it can survive any case uh, and any sort of attack on it. And just okay. using the right language, making sure it's in compliance with the statute and making sure that, you know, it continues to apply on a moving forward basis all of that, if, if it's properly drafted, will protect you from day one forward. Exactly. And I'm not going at it from a point of view of trying to basically uh, like insulate myself. I want to be fair to my employees also. So 
I just want to make sure it's done properly. Absolutely. I mean, contracts are there ultimately to establish the relationship, right? And it's really helpful for both parties to know what the expectations are, what the provisions are, the agreement is, because it just helps everybody know what where they stand. Andrew, pretty smart move, making the phone call. And, yeah, I would take the next step and, and call Stan uh, when you got some time, uh, possibly as early as tomorrow, and get one drafted up properly and legally. Uh, it could save you a lot of headache and a lot of coin, frankly, down the road with these uh, so these eight employees you plan to have. Again, one 821 5900 That speaks to a lot. You know, it's a good call, but, uh, you know, that Andrew called in saying, you know, I think I need more help with this. It's to me, it's it's it, it's along the same lines of just going on to Google and, and downloading your own will. I mean, man, get some legal advice when it comes to something that important in your life. And same goes for an employment contract. Don't don't hash it out on some template you got online. Do it properly. Get a lawyer involved because man, it could it could get you right in the rear end ten years from now if he's got these eight employees and he doesn't have a properly drafted contract. He could just get hooped. Absolutely. I mean, I kind of I understand the hesitancy that a lot of employers have. Yep. Uh, they you know they're starting a business. Capital is limited. You don't want to spend money here. You want to spend it on growth. But this, you know, contracts are not money you spend. It's money you save. You and Good way a, few, a few way, years down the line, and if you have the right contract and you're looking at how much liability and money you save by doing it right the first time, you're going to definitely thank us at that point. Andrew, good call. Making the call. And for you as well, still, uh, yeah, still got some time here. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You want to call in, ask your questions. Other than that, the email address just is handy, help at the employment, or pardon me, help at employmentlawyer.ca. In that regard, Haley, up next, uh, Haley says, I was laid off from work for the first time in my seven and a half years with the company. My boss told me he wasn't sure when he can bring me back, so I'm not sure what to do, says Haley. Well, this actually ties very nicely to the question we were just talking about when it comes to employment contracts, because the question of whether your company is allowed to lay you off or not is a question of whether your contract says you could be laid off or not. If you don't have a contract which explicitly provides your employer with the ability to, to lay you off, then guess what? They can't do that. You can treat that as a constructive dismissal, and you can walk away uh, and at that point, you're basically entitled to your severance. Right. Now, the flip side of that is if uh, if if uh, if this happens to Haley and she does accept it, gets called back to work, say, in a few weeks and a few months, and then here's this show going, well, that's never going to happen again. Well, now that it's already happened once and her employer pulls that card a second time, she can't do anything about it, can she? Absolutely, because in essence your acquiescence at that point becomes part of your contract just because you don't have a written contract doesn't mean a contract doesn't exist most in a lot of most of those instances it's an oral contract you have an implied contract of certain terms that the law will imply so in the example you're giving john uh basically if you've been laid off and they recalled you you've essentially given the authority to the company to do that and the next time they do you're probably not going to be able to claim constructive dismissal just for the record, I was going to use the word acquiescence, but uh, I just didn't want to look too smart. And frankly, I can't spell it, so it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, I'm going to move on to a, another email before we get some more calls lined up here. And uh, who's up next? Lauren. Lauren writes in and says, my employer, oh, here we go, asked me to sign a contract for the first time, and I've already been working there for two and a half years, Stan. Do I have to sign the contract? You know, most, and it always frustrates me to see this, John, because most employees think that, you know, they don't have any options. They're handed a contract by their employer. They're told, you got to sign it. If you don't sign it, you're going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? You don't have to do that because, as I just said, you already have a contract. It's implied, it's oral, but it's there. 
And if you're happy with the terms as Saray set out, then you know what? You can tell your employer, no, thank you. I'm happy with my status as is, and I'm happy to continue uh, with the position as I've been doing for the last two and a half years. And as we know, usually when there's a contract midstream, it's all for the advantage of the employer, not the employee. If anything, you're going to lose rights that you would have on a handshake, which is the best type of contract to have, right? Absolutely. Yeah. From an employee's uh, perspective, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, you got it. 416-870-6400, star 640 on uh, cell. Marjorie, good evening. How are you? I am good, thank you. How are you? Good, my dear. What's uh, What's on your mind? My daughter, she's 22, and she just recently got a job. And they told her that she gets, she gets paid once a month. But the way it works is she works the entire month of October, and she doesn't receive her check until the end of November. Is that legal? Uh so in a general generally speaking I would say yes there aren't any real you know there aren't any regulations that really speak to the timing of payments as long as you're being paid for the work and as long as they're paying you out you know it's basically what it sounds like they're doing is they're holding back a month and then paying her moving forward so presumably if she were let go or left at some point they would owe her the month at that time and again, if that's what she agreed to, if the company was honest and transparent and said, this is the way we pay our employees, and she came in knowing that, then it, um, unfortunately, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Unfortunately, she did not know that until she signed the contract. Oh, well, what, the contract should generally spell that out. I mean, usually a contract will say at least what the timing of payment is. And if she's got a problem with that, she can certainly speak to them. And if the contract says something, frankly, different, then that's a problem for the company. Yeah, because they told her she gets paid once a month. That's fine, but not at the end of the other month. So instead of 30 days, it's 60 days before she yeah. receives a check. A month behind, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. A month behind. Yeah. yeah, again, I mean, that's they're kind of holding back. And uh, I've seen a lot seen this situation a lot and a lot of times after a few years of employment frankly employees forget about that first month i always feel like employers may be using that to kind of pocket that extra change yeah but let me uh yeah. sorry uh, so let me uh, let me try to slide in another one before we go here it'll be uh, chris chris you were next up how are you pal hey guys great to listen to you guys you're always fantastic every time i hear you on the uh, radio thanks here. man thanks man appreciate um, it quick just a quick question uh next week they're going to vote in to see if they want a union and i am not going to get into it but obviously i do not want one now, um, I just want to confirm. I've been in there for about two, almost almost six years. I'm uh, 43 years old, and I just want to know what the severance would be for that. Well, the problem here, Chris, is that if the union gets in, you're not being terminated. So uh, you can't really... It falls under constructive dismissal, I believe. Unfortunately not. Uh, it depends on the situation sometimes, but a union coming in, especially if it's B, because ultimately, you know, in this situation, it's not the employer changing the terms of your employment. It's actually the employees and the third party changing the terms of your employment. And in that instance, it's really not the employer's fault. It's nothing they've done. Uh, so if a union does get this in, then unf- realistically, that's not a constructive dismissal and you leaving would probably end up being a resignation so if you don't want the union there you certainly have rights you can speak to employees about why you feel that way yeah, yeah. Uh, you can vote them down you can fight strongly on behalf of your employer but if the union if that's what the employees want and the union gets in you you make the decision to stay or go but that's your decision at that point okay thank you then 
Thanks. I uh, appreciate that, Chris. Please uh, follow up with us and let us know uh, how everything turned out. We are going to lock it down for the night. Appreciate your calls. If you didn't get through, as you probably know by now, the flagship show really is uh, happening uh, Wednesday night. This one was fantastic. Appreciate all your input. But we will be back here uh, Wednesday night, then the weekend shows as well. From now, uh, you want to reach out to get a hold of Stan or Lior, member of the fantastic team over at the firm. It is one eight five five. 821-5900 email as we've been using every show help at employmentlawyer.ca and it is newly minted and ready to go check it out if you got some time absolutely free and anonymous if you choose pocketemploymentlawyer.ca till next time employment law show don't go anywhere though on point continues alex pearson is coming right back on global news radio